0: Okay, um, so next week is the first Sunday of Advent. And this year uh, we'll be, uh, I'll be preaching through Isaiah chapter 40, which is uh, one of the great passages of the Old Testament and very pivotal in the uh, f- foreshadowing, looking forward to the coming of Jesus. But that's next week. This morning, I'm going to preach a thanksgiving sermon on Psalm 136. Psalm 136. And uh, I'm going to read Psalm 136 now. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and the host and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon the king of the Amorites For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now the scriptures are amazing, and there are so many amazing places and unique facets. This psalm is one of a kind. It probably didn't take very long for you to notice what was unique about this psalm—that there is some repetition in it. If you didn't notice that, you probably weren't paying attention as I was reading it this morning. Either that, or you have real problems with short-term memory. So, I'm going to do three things this morning. First, I want to look at the flow of the passage and uh, the things that he, the themes that he's talking about. Second of all, I would like to look at the uh, the significance of this um, this flow in light of this. Um, repeated refrain of his steadfast love endures forever and finally I'd like to look just at this repeated this refrain which is repeated 26 times in 26 verses his steadfast love endures forever so first let's look at the flow of the passage Um, the psalmist here begins by praising God and thanking God for the creation and and. introduce introductory words of praise just in general about God and then moving into the creation so i'm going to read the first 9 verses but i'm going to leave out the refrain give thanks to the lord for he is good give thanks to the god of gods give thanks to the lord of lords to him alone who does great wonders To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. So the first four verses here mentioned uh, our our general talking about God's goodness. And then referring to God as the God of gods. And you know when... when, um, when the Bible calls God the God of gods or the Lord of lords, we shouldn't just think of that as like an intensified form of calling him God. But when it says the God of gods, it means, you know, because they lived in a world where, where people all around them believed in different gods. And so first of all, it was calling their God the God of all the gods. The one who is higher and above all the others. Now they understood, of course, that they're all false gods. And yet, in other words, what they're saying is he is the one who's above all the things that everyone else thinks are great and high and wonderful. But there's a second aspect to it as well, and that's that all through the Old Testament... Rulers of nations are referred to as gods. And so God is the God of all of the rulers. He's the one that's above them all. And then similarly, when it says, calls God the Lord of Lords, it refers not just to, you know, it's not just a nice thing to say about God, but it's it's the fact that he is the authority over all the other authorities. He's the one who rules over the bosses, over the masters. And, you know, in a world that, where there was slavery, there was one who was the Lord of your master, the master of your master. And then it says, he who alone does good, great wonders, he has that power that he can do things no one else can do. Then the second half of this first part has things that have to do with the creation of the heavens and the earth. By understanding, he made the heavens. He's And and you know, when you think, we, we're learning more and more about the heavens with the uh, new James Webb telescope and the other telescopes that we've had you know, out there for a long time. And just the amazing things that, that we're finding out about how big the universe is and how many stars there are you know i remember being amazed that i found out that that uh they there's like a billion galaxies that have i think it's uh yeah a billion no it's a hundred billion galaxies and each one has an average of a hundred billion stars and how mind-blowing that is and now that is old news. Now, with the better telescopes, they think that there maybe up to five trillion galaxies out there. And so it's just mind-boggling how vast. And yet, and there's so much to understand, but it says, by understanding, he made the heavens. He understands it all. He knew what he was doing. He knows how to make it all work. Amazing. And he spread out the earth above the waters. So you know, talking about the land coming up out of the waters and and how he, he has made the earth the, the land that we walk on and live on. And then he, he made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day and the moon and the stars to rule over the night. And what a blessing it is that we have not only these glorious things, but so helpful for us. We couldn't live without the warmth and the heat and the light of the sun. And even at night... He's so good, he gives, us, he gives us dark so that we can rest and sleep, but not so dark that, it's, that we can't see anything. But he gives us a little bit of light at night, so that we can survive at night, even if we have to be up instead of... The theme of the second half of the psalm from 10 to 25 is the exodus and the wilderness wandering So let me read that part again, leaving out the refrain. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. And rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. So first it covers the Exodus. Exodus. How God struck down the firstborn of Egypt, that's what happened the night of the Passover, where the firstborn of each of the families of Egypt was was killed by the angel of death, and yet the the ones of the Israelites who had put the the blood on the lentil of their doorways were spared and then uh, it says it talks about God having brought Israel out from among. Egypt with a strong hand and outstretched arm. Remember it wasn't easy to get the people freed and it took demonstrations of God's power to do so. Remember the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt and how that freed the people. That's what it's talking about here. And then he divided the Red Sea in two. He parted it so they could walk across on dry ground and made Israel pass through in the midst of it. It says, And then he overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. You remember when they followed the Israelites through the the midst of the waters, and then as soon as Israel reached the shore, God released the waters and the armies of Pharaoh were, were killed in the water. And then it goes on and talks about their wandering in the wilderness. Said he said he led his people through the wilderness. You remember he did that with a pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And he struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. The stories of Sihon and Og, these two kings that he mentions here. In late Deuteronomy 2 and early Deuteronomy 3, where um, these kings, you know, Israel is is wandering and trying to get to the area the... That where God has given them the land, and these kings find out about their presence, and they go out and they attack them. They're they're uh, in their animosity, they attack Israel, and God gives Israel great victories, and they inherit their lands. and uh, And so, it's not just the wandering, but actually the gift of the promised land to God's people um, is included here. And then there's some final reflections on the Exodus and the wanderings in the wilderness. It says, he remembered us in our lowest state. That seems to be referring to the, what happened when they were slaves in Egypt and oppressed and God came to Moses. And what did he say to Moses in Exodus 3? I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God remembered their low estate; He took notice of their trials and their travails. And then it says, He rescued us from our Egyptian foes and he and then that the final reference to the the one who gives food to all flesh seems to be a reference to what how God provided for them in the wilderness when they had nothing to eat and God sent manna to fall from heaven and then he sent quail and he fed his people even in the wilderness and then it ends with this give thanks to the god of heaven so in light of this story, these events that occurred, that he lists here, and in light of the fact that after each one of these declarations of a, a, or description of a certain event, is followed by the pronouncement that his steadfast love endures forever. It seems to me that that uh, there's an important lesson for us to learn in this, even about our own lives and about our own past. As we think through our history, our personal history, maybe our family's history, we need to punctuate our understanding of our own past with reminders of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, if you went back through these stories that have been mentioned here, and we don't have time to go through them all, but virtually all of these incidents that are described here in the story of Israel are incidents which involved um, distress, which involved scary things, which involved painful things. Um... When Moses, for instance, showed up to deliver God's people, remember things got worse before they got better, and the Israelites began to wonder whether this was even a good idea to try to be to let Moses deliver them, because remember Pharaoh said, "No, now from now on, from now on, you have to make your own straw and make just as many bricks." So it looked like he was doing harm. And so these things weren't all fun and games. These are real problems and the problems involved stress and trauma and pain. Remember when Pharaoh's army had pinned the Israelites against the sea. And there was no place to turn. They were in a situa- a hopeless situation. The sea on one side and the enemy on the other side. And and uh, so this was not a fun time for them. Remember when they were in the desert. They, they finally got across and then they are there. And it's like, this is a desert. Where, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? There's nothing here. There's nothing to eat or drink here. And then these, the hostile nations that attack them. That, that are mentioned. Again, all of these situations were situations of trauma. And of fear, of anguish. And now that Thomas can look back on these experiences and he doesn't notice so much the trauma of them, he notices God's goodness, he notices God's faithfulness, he notices God's deliverance. And this is what we need to do as well. Past events in our lives are often like ghosts which haunt us in the subconscious part of our minds or even in the conscious part. That, And yet these events, when we look at them rightly, when we look at them in light of the steadfast love of the Lord and we grasp what God was doing in them and how he was helping us in the midst of it, Then they become stones to build a wall of faith to resist the lies and the wrong interpretations of our past. And it's important that as we relate to our past that we learn to do so in light of the steadfast love of the Lord. So many people just try... um, they just try to forget about their past. You know, they just don't want to think about it. And there are two problems with this. First of all, it's a waste of pain. You have this, you, pay, you went through the pain, you might as well get the benefit from the pain. And there is a benefit in it, but not if you're just trying to avoid facing it and dealing with it. The second thing that's bad about just avoiding the past is that you miss Jesus. When you refuse to face the pain, you often miss out on Jesus who reveals himself in our pain. You know, Jesus himself said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But if you refuse to mourn, you'll never get God's comfort. You have to be willing to mourn, and then you'll get the comfort. Refusing to experience the mourning is not a way of escaping. It still rumbles around down there in your heart, but you miss out on the comfort. Jesus only gives rest to those who recognize that they are heavily burdened. And come to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. He doesn't say, don't have to do anything. I'm going to give it to you. Just go on in your life. No. You have to recognize that you're qualified to get his help because you are overburdened and heavy laden. And then you have to listen to his invitation and respond to it. Come to him. That's Matthew 11, 20 to 30, of course. One of my favorite, you know, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And my favorite book is The Horse and His Boy. And my favorite moment in that story is the conversation that Shasta has with Aslan as they're walking together um, in in the dark. And Shasta doesn't even know who Aslan is. He just knows that there's this great being walking next to him. And they have this amazing conversation. And Shasta has this whole sack of memories of painful things which have happened to him. And he begins to dump them out on Aslan as they walk together. And one by one, Aslan explains what was really going on in that situation to Shasta. And he shows him how each one of these things, far from being a sign that Shasta was helpless, without help, and hopeless, without hope. Far from being that, he shows them that each one was actually a manifestation of God's loving provision and guidance in his life. You know, one day, each of us is going to have a conversation like that with Jesus, or maybe many conversations like that with Jesus. But the fact is, we can start now. We can start now. Jesus is willing to show us, not absolutely and not thoroughly, but really, he is willing, he is ready to show us and help us to come to grips with things that have happened to us in the past when we bring them to him in light of his steadfast love and ask him for help in understanding the things that we have experienced. I've been doing this myself for the past few years and uh, I can't express to you how important and how wonderful it has been for me. I've found that many times I go through a hard experience and when it's over I just move on to the next thing so I don't even notice how God helped me in the midst of it. I never even stop and pay attention to what happened to see that he delivered me. When the situation's over, I just go on to the next thing. It's very unhealthy. So instead of a building block of faith in my life, my memories just haunt me, usually in my subconscious. So, so many times we think we need to protect ourselves from God as though he doesn't love us enough for us to trust him and you know so really we're trusting ourselves and we we have that's not much to trust we try to protect ourselves from the very one who's our protector because we're not taking our painful experiences to him and asking him to help us see them in the light of his steadfast love and when we when we can see the things of our past in light of his steadfast love, then we can face the things of our present and the things of our future and have confidence that that the one who has been faithful will continue to be faithful to us as we move forward. Your past ought to be a timeline of God's faithfulness. Filled with demonstrations of God's help and provision and mercy and rescue. Filled with demonstrations of his steadfast love in our need. And then, like the psalmist here, you'll be able to walk through, periodically, the timeline of your past and reflect upon God's faithfulness to you, and it will become, instead of uh, full of shadows and ghosts which are haunting you, it becomes a bulwark of faith for you to deal with your present issues. Like some of you, we rely on a fireplace to keep our house warm during the coldest parts of winter. And I can't wait to start it this afternoon for the first time. But in order for that to work, I've got to cut and split enough wood to be ready to burn when the cold hits. It's wonderful when I have the wood all there and seasoned on time and ready to make a lot of heat when we need it. But if I don't do enough work or I don't do it early enough, we either are pretty chilled in the house or we pay a lot to heat the house or both. And so it is with life, it seems to me. There is... Preparation to do the wise man builds his house upon the rock not during the time of storm but during the di- days when there is no storm so that when the storm comes his house is secure and he is able to stand firm against the storm now some people are always mulling over the past others never do so But what this psalm teaches us Is not just to review the past But to visit the past And find God's steadfast love there Go searching for it You know when you see those guys uh, We have a few of them in our congregation That really like to take those uh, metal detectors And go around and and look for things You know they may be on the beach They may be in the woods And they're looking for metal And uh, in the same way You know, we need to go through our past looking for the steadfast love of the Lord. Where is it? It's here somewhere. And we know it's there. We know it's there because God loves us. And therefore, we're going to be able to see, whether it's now or some other time in the future, we're going to be able to see how his steadfast love was manifested in our lives in everything that happened to us in our past. So look for it. But now I'd like to hone in on the refrain, which is, and by the way, if you are interested in really taking this task on, if you have always resisted going through your past and somehow this has helped you to, maybe convicted you that you need to really address things in your past, I'm more than happy to be whatever help I can be in that process but now, let's look at this refrain, this the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, which is repeated 26 times in this psalm. Even though it's like 10 syllables in English, it's only 6 syllables in Hebrew. It basically just says, literally in the Hebrew, to eternity, his chesed, his Loving kindness, his steadfast love to eternity, his steadfast love. The the woman who first introduced Marianne and I uh, just had this word Chesed in Hebrew tattooed onto her arm in Israel, and uh, so and her first tattoo, you know, not the kind of person that you think. It's going to go out and get a tattoo, but she got this tattooed on her arm just this last week. And uh, and so what is, what's so amazing that would drive a boomer who never got a tattoo before to get a tattoo of this word on her arm? Well, as I've told you before, hesed is the great love word of the Hebrew Old Testament, just as agape is the great love word of the Greek New Testament. Chesed, which is translated here, steadfast love. It's only one word in the Hebrew, but it's translated steadfast love because it, it has to do with being faithful to a covenant. And therefore, marriage is a good analogy. It's really two concepts that we think of as two different things put together. One is love, and one is Commitment. And when you put love and commitment together, that's chesed. And uh, so it refers, that's why it's called steadfast love. We have a number of couples in our church who are um, right at the point of life where they're close to celebrating their 50th anniversary. And I can tell you, in order to remain married for 50 years... You have to have love and commitment. I can tell you one thing about all these couples, and this isn't by talking to them personally, it's just by knowing. Sometimes they drive each other crazy. And yet, they have enough love and commitment to each other, for each other and to each other, that it's enough to get them through those times of stress and conflict. Likewise, sometimes we grieve God in the same way by what we do. Sometimes we even commit spiritual adultery. But God is in this for the long haul. He will never forsake us as his children Here is the most important truth in your life. His steadfast love endures forever. There are so many things which are good to know. So many things which will really help in life. But there's nothing more important to know than that God's steadfast love endures forever forever the prophet Jeremiah had a hard life he's called the weeping prophet because he suffered so many heartbreaks the people of God broke his heart he loved them sacrificially but in response they treated him brutally he called them to submit to God and trust him but they just grew harder and defied him more he reached out to them and pleaded with him. They threw him in a mud pit so he couldn't get out. What else could go wrong? Well, something else did go wrong. On top of all of the, the experiences he had dealing with God's people, the Babylonians came and they attacked. Judah and Jerusalem they not only captured many of the people but they laid the holy city to waste they destroyed God's temple they smashed the walls they demolished the houses and the other buildings it was all rubble Jeremiah was so upset along with the rest of the people that he wrote a number of lamentations expressing his grief and the grief of his people. And of course, they are collected in the book of Lamentations, which comes after the book that bears the name of Jeremiah. I want to read you just a few lines of, this, of these Lamentations, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me. A lion in hiding. He tore me to pieces. He bent his bow and he set me as a target for his arrow. He drove his arrows deeply into my kidneys. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples. The object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished. So has my hope. It's just hard for us in contemporary America to really be able to grasp the intensity of Jeremiah's misery and his pain and that's just one little taste of it but how was Jeremiah able to survive this kind of pain he actually tells us right after the passage that I read to us in Lamentations 3.22 and 23 he says this but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He says the same thing as we read in Psalm 136. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. If we know that the steadfast love of the Lord for us never ceases, we can withstand anything. You know, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He tells us that we're too dirty to be cleansed. He tells us we're too sinful to be forgiven. He tells us we're such failures that we'll never succeed. He tells us we're too unlovable to ever be loved. Those are his lies. And the only way to defend ourselves against those lies is with the belt of God's truth. The breastplate of Christ's righteousness. The shield of faith. The helmet of Christ's salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And which truth do we need? Well, there's no truth that we need more than the truth of God's enduring, steadfast love. We need to remember His steadfast love in our past. We need to remember his steadfast love in our present circumstances. We need to remember his steadfast love in what he's called us to do. We need to remember his steadfast love in the things that he tells us in his word. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That's the point. Maybe you've heard the statement before, take ten looks at Christ for every look at your own sin. Well, there are certainly many scriptures that hone in on our sinfulness, for we need to see that too. In fact, we can really understand Christ's love only once we grasp the depths of our sins. But Psalm 136 glories in how the steadfast love of, of the Lord endures forever. This love, this isn't something we can just understand. It's designed to elicit a response from us. Love starts something. It starts a relationship. You know, when i Marion and I were trying to figure out what happened over 50 years ago when the first one of us told the other that we loved the other, and we can 't really remember very clearly. you can get the details. but what if stand? <laughs> now, there are many things that I understand is the perfect answer, you know The, the, the gas tank is almost empty. I understand that 's what I want to hear. But when I say, I love you, that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear, thank you, or I love you back. And that's, that's the point here when it comes to God's I love you. God's declaration that his steadfast love endures forever. This psalm isn't just a theological reflection on God's love. This psalm is interactional. The psalmist is reacting to God's love and calling us to do the same. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so I will call you in the same way this morning. In light of the great steadfast love of the Lord for you, give thanks to God. Draw near to him. Love him back. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you repeat this truth 26 times because, Lord, it takes a lot sometimes for us to get the point. Help us not to be deaf to this powerful refrain that your steadfast love endures forever. And teach us, O Lord, to live our lives and to view our lives always in light of this precious truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.